Hi, my name is Lindsay Adams, and you are listening to Mindful as a Mother. I have been so excited to tell you that my course is finally ready. I will be launching soon, and I cannot wait for you guys to see this. The topic is coping for kids, how to help your child manage difficult emotions without the meltdown. I know that so many of you are going to love and benefit from this. So if you want to get on my waiting list to find out more information as soon as it's available, go to the link in the show notes and put your name and email in and then you can be the first to know. Okay, so you know I love KiwiCo. You know that I love spending one-on-one time with my kids. Every month, I am just in awe about how affordable it is, how well it's put together, and how much my kids love it and are engaged by it. Everything is portioned out. There's the amount of supplies that you need so you don't have 7,000 googly eyes You don't have to go to Michael's 16 times. And I I really think I did the math on this latest box. And to get the supplies for one of the activities, I would have had to spend more than I spent on my whole month for the box. So if you had any hesitation, this is your permission. Order it now. Your kids will thank you. Your relationship with your kids will thank you. Go to the show notes and click on the link and then enter your email to get 30% off your first box. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hello, I hope you all had a wonderful week and I am so excited about our topic today which is neurodivergence. Now if you don't know what neurodivergence means you will know by the end of this episode. If you don't know why it's important you will know by the end of this episode. So super excited and I think we're just gonna like dive right in. Neurodivergence is the difference in mental or neurological function from what is considered typical or normal. The types of things that typically fall into this are ADHD, autism spectrum, Tourette's, dyslexia, dysgraphia, um, trying to think, oh, sometimes bipolar and schizophrenia, depending on who you ask. Um, So that's how this phrase is frequently used. Another term you'll see with it a ton is neurotypical, which means that your brain functions typically. Neurodivergent is or atypical is your brain does not function typically. That does not mean anything is wrong or bad with you necessarily. It's just that your brain functions a little bit differently um, and it's like a different adaptation in the human genome. And this perspective and this language has been really helpful in society and working with kids and adults who have these disorders because it helps you think of instead of labeling them as bad or something wrong with them it really encompasses like hey my brain just works differently and that there are standard deviations from the way that typical brain works and that's okay and we just need to find workarounds in your brain 
for certain struggles that you have. Something that's also really important to recognize is that even though there are struggles and disadvantages of having a neurodivergent brain, there are also massive advantages like being really good in a crisis, um, being able to hyper-focus for some state or for some amount of time, different situations. So the adaptations in the brain that uh, are different from t- a, uh, neurotypical brains can make you better or make you have strengths in areas that other people don't. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about my own story. Um, I've always been told since as long as I can remember that I had anxiety and that anxiety and depression ran in my family. So I would likely have it. And I remember being officially diagnosed somewhere around 12 or 13, going to therapy. And then around like 15 or 16 was the first time I went on medication for depression and anxiety. So that was always the narrative or the story that I had in my head that I was operating from. And flash forward to around being 30-ish, I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I had to switch medication providers because mine was leaving the company and I had an insurance change. It was a whole thing. So I found this new provider and they screened me for ADHD in my intake and I came back with all of the symptoms, every single one of them. And I had always known, like I had had thoughts throughout my career and through education and all those things, like maybe I, maybe I have ADHD. It it feels like this is something that is a struggle for me and not being able to focus is a symptom of like anxiety and depression as well as ADHD. So I had always kind of attributed it mostly to anxiety. Well, my provider let me know that I do in fact have that and that um, she wanted to try medicating me for it. It's something that I had like went back and forth about. I'm very, was very hesitant to try stimulants because there is a really big stigma with them, I think. And getting, you know, Adderall as a 30 year old female in Utah can be seen as, you know, uh, like a, a, a mom trying to just do more and be productive all the time. And that's not necessarily what I was going for, but I was afraid that people, if I talked about it, people would view it as that. So I have had to try like a few different releases and doses, and I am finally on something that I feel like works for me and helps me. And it is amazing how much has changed and how much better I am able to function on this medication and there are well first of all I've been able to go down on my anxiety meds because I am not as anxious because I'm focusing better and I am able to function normally I'm not like cracked out I think that's like the the misconception is that you're going to be cracked out and I am not so it's been a really good experience for me and I will continue to let you know like how things go with my medication, something that I want to be open and transparent about because I think it's very useful um, for people to hear those things. Um, 
But like walking back through my life, I looking at it now, I recognize that I had been able to create like successful workarounds um, in order to like be pretty successful and get through college and grad school. And the the moment that I really started to struggle was motherhood because there and looking at it now, I can see there was so much more to manage and so many more unknowns and my workarounds weren't working anymore. So my lists and my, you know, need to control everything wasn't working anymore so that I didn't forget things or so that I was on top of everything. And I think in the research I'd done in these past few years, the thing that I recognized is that women, uh, that women often get diagnosed when their children do, or once they become mothers, because there's so much of a mental load with motherhood that it just overwhelms any workaround or capacity to cope that you have acquired over your entire life. And I, I, I kind of kick myself for not listening to my intuition earlier about, you know, needing, needing help with this. And I think that even as a therapist, I received a general lack of education about how ADHD presents in humans and humans, I mean, in women. And I'm so used to working with kids that I tend to look at it from that perspective rather than like an adult female perspective. And so I just like every other mom out there, I focused on everyone else around me and I, you know, neglected to really take a look at myself and the challenges that I was experiencing the other thing about ADHD in women that is often not known is that changes in symptoms happen at like different times in your menstrual cycle or hormonal cycle, like having babies or um, just like your period, things like that, ovulation, you're likely to have a rise in some symptoms and a decrease in other symptoms and, and vice versa. And so that can make it really hard to diagnose or recognize. The other thing is that people, women who adult women who have ADHD are likely to also get an anxiety or a depressive disorder, or that it's a very common thing to have both given like the lack of ability to focus can create a lot of self-worth issues and um, the lack of ability to focus can create a lot of overwhelming anxiety. And so all these things are tied together and some of the symptoms are very similar. So it can be really hard to like weed out what, what goes where and what's causing what in terms of medication some of the symptoms are the same and you can treat them behaviorally in a similar way. But as far as like medication goes, it can be super difficult. I still utilize holistic methods and make sure like my sleep and nutrition are on point. That is something that helps me a lot in my caffeine intake, but also um, that I uh, exercise is very, very important with ADHD and I'm, uh, I'm still working on honing that in and finding the things that help me the most. The other things I feel like I maybe should have paid more attention to that were red flags that I brushed over is that I am highly, highly motivated by praise. This is a common thing with everyone who has ADHD. And if you have a husband or a child, praise them. It's going to work a thousand times better than punishment. And when someone praises me, I like light up and I am not like a cocky or even confident. I, I don't even know if I'd say I'm a confident person, but like, I love it when people tell me good things about myself. It makes me feel so good. And then also I'm highly sensitive to criticism. So any simple kind of criticism, like 
there was a typo in your email, like cuts me to my absolute core. And this is something called, I think it's rejection dysphoria, rejection sensitive. Okay. Rejection sensitive dysphoria. And it's a pretty common thing. And it, it really like criticism affects people with ADHD differently than people who are neurotypical. And so I always thought that I was just a very sensitive person and that was maybe a flaw. It also was like a superpower in some ways, but I always thought that that was a flaw and that I was just too sensitive or too emotional. And now I'm realizing that, hey, my brain just processes it differently and that's okay. And because I know those things now, I can um, insert coping skills and talk myself through criticism and through times that I am feeling that feeling of rejection at a level that um, maybe isn't the normal level, right? The third thing that was a huge red flag is emotional regulation issues. I've struggled to regulate my emotions my entire life. I have big reactions to things. I had always chalked this up to trauma (laughs) and to witnessing my mom have unproportionate reactions to things. And, um, looking back, I think that's definitely a part of it. And like I said, life is like a, there's so many things like weaving in here. Um, so it is probably a trauma response. I have been modeled yelling and having these really intense reactions to criticism and I'm getting very upset very easily, but also like my brain processes things differently. And so, you know, emotional regulation is an issue for me and I need to make sure that I am on top of taking care of myself, implementing skills and having plans for things that typically set me off. So that's my story. And I hope that some of this was helpful to you. And if you feel like at the, in a minute, I'm going to talk about what to do if you feel like maybe, oh, maybe I have one of these things and I don't know what to do next. Um, I'm going to talk about, give you some recommendations, but I hope this was helpful. And I hope if there's something in here that you can relate to or take from, just know that you're not alone. It's very common and motherhood can be the thing that sends everything else over because um, it just overwhelms your ability to cope. So maybe you didn't have anxiety before. Now you have anxiety. Maybe you didn't notice you had attention issues or whatever. Um, Just know that, you know, motherhood makes everything harder and it's beautiful and the hardest, most difficult thing at the exact same time. Now I'm going to talk about autism because that's the other common, um, when we talk about neurodivergence, that's the other common disorder that, um, that comes up. Um, and I'm going to talk about autism specifically in terms of adult women and autism. Adult females on the autism spectrum that aren't diagnosed are probably, I mean, I don't know what the number is, but something to know about autism is that there's technically no no known cause and no cure. Um, But from the perspective of neurodivergence, there doesn't need to be a cure because we can create, um, we can learn skills and create different neural pathways in our brains to work around our challenges or struggles. It also can come with a high, like there can be very great benefits to autism, something that is on a spectrum, meaning there's a wide range of symptoms and how they present in each person, causing a wide range of limitations. And so if you have made it to 
motherhood without being diagnosed with this and you think you may have it, you are probably on the more high functioning level. And that's totally okay. It doesn't mean you don't have those struggles. It just means that like if there were some of the severe impairments that we learn about um, through our pediatricians or when we're looking at diagnosing these things in our kids, you probably would be aware of it by now. Diagnosing as an adult female isn't something, well, diagnosing in general, I think, isn't something that is like, the, the diagnosis isn't super important. It doesn't define you or like it isn't a part of your identity, but it does help you. Um, it normalizes the feelings you have and your reactions and it helps you address challenges, access resources, and recognize sometimes why the why you are the way that you are. Right now, research shows that women and girls are more likely to camouflage or mask their symptoms through practicing social interactions over and over again in their head, setting up systems kind of similar with ADHD to help themselves get through things, and learning to imitate the, the social piece that comes with autism. Um, and it can present like just having like social anxiety or shyness when really it may be like an autism spectrum issue. There's also like, <coughs> there is also sometimes a stigma associated with it. So people avoid exploring it and are driven to hide their symptoms. Um, and as hopefully we are moving into a more accepting and strengths-based approach to this, people may, may feel more comfortable because they're able to recognize that, that it isn't something that's wrong with them or that needs to be cured or fixed. It really is just like that your brain functions differently, just like we talked about with ADHD. Women with autism that are adults have a high, 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 high risk of co-occurring disorders like depression and anxiety because of the effort that it takes to, to fit in and socialize. And often there is always this feeling of like being an imposter or not fitting in. If you were to be who you truly are, um, and be authentic. And so there's high rates of anxiety and depression. Now we break down the part where you can take action. My story applies to ADHD personally, but the, these action items can be applied to anyone who you suspect has neurodivergence or you would just want to know more about. So my first tip would be to research online or read books. Lots of TikToks, reels, articles, books. Um, that was repetitive, Lindsay. Anyway, do all your research because I think as humans, we expect our medical providers to be the ones to, and our, and our therapists, and to be the ones to educate us about our condition or what we're going through and things we can do to help ourselves and to give us all the suggestions and while in an ideal world that would be what happens I think we live in a society and a healthcare environment where typically we sit down with a doctor for 10 or 15 minutes they give us a diagnosis they write us a prescription and they send us on our way therapist is a little different they can go through things with you they can give you ideas and unpack things and so you're going to get more 
you know, time dedicated to those things there. That being said, therapists don't know everything and don't ever tell my husband that I told you that I don't know anything or everything because I will lie and say that I never said that. But, um, it's, I'm always learning new things like scrolling through TikTok, looking at reels, reading books. Um, you can ask my friends and, and my clients. I'm always like, oh, hey, I'm listening to this podcast. I'm reading this new book. Like it talked about this. And I think that's a really interesting idea. So while we have the theoretical framework for like how to help people and how to help people process emotions and do that, we, we don't know all the things and we don't know everything about every way and every hack for your brain and neurodivergence. So just do the research yourself and try the things that, you know, you feel like will apply to you and leave the things that don't. That's something we also as humans get really set in the all or nothing thinking mentality of like, well, all of this method or all of these ideas have to work for me. And if they don't, then none of it works. And that's not true either. I think we can, we can go through and implement and take what works for us and apply it to our life and then just leave the rest. And that's okay. There's no, that doesn't mean the plan is flawed. That doesn't mean you're flawed. It just means that everyone's life, um, funk at life and, brains and abilities are different and the way that we all function is different and unique. I'll give you an example of this. I love a good cleaning system. Like I have read books about cleaning. Um, this is about to get embarrassing. Please don't judge me. I have like followed all the cleaners. I've signed up for like the different cleaning methods like Clean Mama and Fly Lady. And if you've done this, you maybe you know what I'm talking about. And I've watched webinars about cleaning systems and I've printed checklists and created calendars and used apps and done all sorts of crap, okay? And I could never find anything that worked for me that I could stick to. Part of it is that I was an unmedicated mother with ADHD and a career. The other part is that I was trying to take these systems that these women had built and that are great, right? They're great ideas, but I was trying to take them and just like copy and paste those into my life. And that just didn't serve me. It didn't work and it didn't fit with my lifestyle and me. So I have created my own cleaning system because I have meshed together two cleaning systems and it works for me. And I don't feel like a failure or feel like I'm constantly trying to make something work for my life and my family that doesn't work. Behavioral um, changes and other like things that you implement are the same way. So I can sit and give you suggestions and ideas all day long about things you can do and help you find insight, but I can't tell you what's going to work best for you and your child. And that's why typically therapists don't give advice because we're not the experts in your life. You are, and you get to make those decisions, which is very scary, but also very empowering when you just own that, like, I have full control over this and I don't. And no one gets to tell me what is best for me and my child. The second tip goes right along with number one. Start implementing behavioral and environmental changes and set yourself up for success. If you take my course, you'll know that I I talk a lot about that and setting the environment up for success. But you want to set yourself up for success knowing your challenges. And um, so like making sure your nutrition, sleep, um, and exercise are on point so that you're, you are your best self. And 
I would implement one, one to two things at a time. Don't try and overwhelm yourself with like making all of these big changes in how you parent or how you process things or the set schedules and systems you have in your life, like one thing at a time and go slow and give yourself grace. The third thing is like see a provider, a doctor, a therapist, a psychiatrist, and have them test you and then talk about the best route for your next steps, whether that's medication, whether that's therapy, whether that's, you know, behavioral changes, whatever it is. So, um, and I think that that is a very important piece because like I talked about earlier in the episode, we, the diagnosis isn't what's important, but it does help you give you guidance and like where to look, where to find resources. And it can be very validating. And also for things that are like a brain chemistry imbalance, medication is necessary in some situations to help you and only you can decide what situations that is well and for your child right like but um going to your primary care provider is usually the the first and best option and then they can direct you on where to go from there so if you're an adult then um going to to your family doctor or your I mean, that would be the best places. Your family doctor, if you already have like mental health um, services, your therapist, your psychiatrist. The second, um, if you're, I mean, if you're a child or you, if you're getting services for your child, the best place to start if they don't already have like a therapist and a psychiatrist or med manager would be their pediatrician because they typically know your child's history. They've probably talked with you about these things in the past and they can direct you on like if you need testing, where to go, if they think medication's a good option and and how to proceed from there. Now I'm going to go into some questions I got on my Instagram and I answered these people um, via direct message, but I thought they were good questions that I, um, that probably a lot of people have and that you know, should be addressed here on the podcast. So when to have your child tested, what age? And for me, I would say when I noticed that there's a struggle or there's something off. So like I started having Sam tested when he was three because I knew he was behind in some area and I wanted to know why. Now that being said, I am a little overbearing. I am a therapist and I, I was a first time mom. So I maybe wouldn't do it as quickly back then, but I do think there are benefits in early intervention and in getting kids tested early if you feel like there is something going on there. Where to start with that? Uh, your pediatrician, always the best place to start. I think that they can refer you to things. I think it was my pediatrician with Sam and he referred me to early intervention who then did the testing for me and OT I think but um those are that's always like the good central place to start if your child is in school and a part of the public school system you can go through the IEP process and do the testing there some um situations you need there's a difference between a school diagnosis and a medical diagnosis and uh, because a school diagnosis isn't doesn't help you qualify for medical things so it just helps your child in the school setting so if 
if the only area your child struggles in is school, then I think like a school diagnosis is perfectly acceptable. Like I said, I don't even like labeling kids. I don't like the word diagnosis, but it does have a purpose in helping you get your child the resources they need. I know a lot of parents don't like labeling or diagnosing their kids, and I totally agree with that. And I think that we need to, like, it's all in how we present it to our kids and the language we use to talk to our kids about these things and also, like, being able to navigate the system and get the things you need so that your child qualifies and gets the resources they deserve to be their most successful self. It's a total tangent. Anyway, so... If they're only struggling in school, because school diagnosis is totally appropriate and where you can probably stop, but likely if they if they struggle at school, then they struggle at home or in other areas, and it may be necessary to receive a medical diagnosis, meaning you would need to go through your primary, uh, I mean, pediatrician. Okay, number two, is ADHD a sign of autism? No, but... They co-occur together often. So a lot of children with autism also have ADHD. But if you have ADHD, it does not mean that you have more signs or symptoms for autism or that you need to be tested for autism or anything like that. So just know that they they are sister diagnosis. One does not cause the other. One does not mean you are more likely to have another. They just happen together a lot. Thank you so much for listening. I will be back next week to talk about marriage and neurodiversity. If you want more of Mindful as a Mother, you can find me on Instagram at Lynn's underscore Adams LCSW. Once again, at Lynn's L-I-N-D-S underscore Adams LCSW.